good to see you this morning, Community Faith, Christian Fellowship. You look good out there. Uh, <laughs> this is the third week of our series entitled Antioch, The Church Can Change the World. Uh, last week, we saw how the church, which was planted at Antioch out of Jerusalem, became a base for a movement. And, uh, and we looked at that. And this week, what we're going to look at is... Uh, is specifically the sending portion, Antioch being a sending church. What once was a plant, a church plant, as we were once a church plant here in Boston, eventually became a base and began sending people out. We're going to look more specifically at Antioch as a sending church. We're going to see how it applies to today, and we're going to see how it applies to specifically what we're doing here at CFCF and our our missions movement in the Northeast here, uh, CFI, Community of Faith International. Let's start in Acts chapter 13 and verses 4 through 5. You can either open your Bible or follow with me up here. In Acts 13, 4 and 5, it says here, the two of them, and when it speaks of the two of them, we have to hearken back to last week, Barnabas and Saul, who, will, who I will from here on referred to as Paul and Barnabas, okay? Paul's name was, Saul's name was changed to Paul, uh, and um, it's Paul and Barnabas. But anyway, let's look here. The two of them, sent on their way by the Holy Spirit, went down to Seleucia and sailed from there to Cyprus. When they arrived at Salamis, they proclaimed the word of the Lord, uh, the word of God in the Jewish synagogues. John was with them as their helper. What is the first thing that we see from uh, looking at this scripture today about Antioch? Well, the church at Antioch sent out teams. They did not send out individuals, but they sent out teams. We look, Paul and Barnabas were sent out by the Holy Spirit, and they had a helper with them. What was that helper's name? John. Actually, the helper's name was John Mark. Not the one that plays up here sometimes, John Mark Buckner, but the John Mark from the Bible that he's named after. John Mark was actually a cousin of Barnabas, so this was a family affair. Uh, Barnabas uh, obviously had had influence on young John Mark's life, and he went with them to proclaim the gospel. But you see, that they were sent out as a team. Uh, Antioch sent people out that way, and that is a valuable way to do it. See, Paul and Barnabas didn't just take him along, as it says here in uh, verse 5, as their helper. Yes, he did. He helped them in many ways. But Paul and Barnabas took them along and took him along and took others that they would take throughout the years so that they could train them and teach them. Hands-on training. Kinesthetic training. Learning by doing. That is one of the things that we are not merely about information, but we're about transformation of people's lives. And you do that, you learn that by doing. So anyway, uh, I want to look here though, um, we'll, uh, we'll look back a second. This was a pattern that was set by our Lord Jesus himself. He didn't say, Peter, you go that way. Uh, John, you go that way. Bartholomew, you go that way. The other one, no, he sent them out two by two, to go and proclaim the gospel and to proclaim the good news from him because he knew something. When Jesus does something, he has a reason for it. And his reason is good. Let's look at three of the reasons why it was valuable for the church in Antioch to send out teams and why it also would behoove us to do it the same way. Okay? There are three things I want to talk about. Encouragement. Say encouragement. 
Accountability and refinement. Ooh, golly, I don't like that last word, refinement. That sounds painful. Well, we'll get to that later. Encouragement. The word encouragement, the reason these guys were sent out as a team, one of the main reasons is is to give courage, literally that word, encourage, to give courage to one another. Paul and Barnabas were able to accomplish things together that they were unable to accomplish alone. I have through the years, through 25 years of ministry and going to 40 countries to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ, I have seen team ministry in action where I've been deeply encouraged by what God has done and by another. Uh, I have a little something to tell you, maybe a little bit interesting, but at one point uh, I was leading a training school, not at all unlike the one that... uh, that's going to be led by Phil and Leslie this year. I was leading a training school in Texas uh, from the church that, that sent us here. And we went down to Austin, Texas uh, to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. By the way, I don't know what it is about Austin, Texas, but I've never met anyone from up here that wanted to go to Dallas or Houston or anywhere else. It's always Austin. Well, anyway, we went to Austin, Texas. And we went there to share the good news of Jesus. So one day, Austin is the capital of Texas. One day, um, we had about 30 of us or so, 30 or even 40, pretty large team. One day, we went down to the Capitol building. And we decided we were just going to go pray and and look around. And so we got, there's a big dome uh, in the middle of the Capitol building. And uh, it's a beautiful mural up top. And we gather around kind of in a circle. And we began to sing. We began to sing hymns. And, uh, uh, and it was beautiful. There was harmoniz- harmonization and, and all of that good stuff. And it was really beautiful. And God, I felt the presence of God, you know, um, descend at that moment. With that he, in a special way, wanted to do something. So I said, hey, everybody, uh, what we want to do here is let's split up in groups of two makes sense groups of two or groups of three mainly keep it at two uh and uh let's go out and ask people how we can pray for them and and share with people about jesus well anyway somehow i ended up with one of my leaders his name's ty denny maybe a few of you would know him from uh years ago ty was a big football player kind of guy and uh he was zealous for jesus reminded me of peter uh the one on whom Jesus built the church, the rock. Anyway, so Ty and I are walking along, and we're in the Capitol building, and we're praying, and we're like, (laughs) this thought of faith. We were encouraged. We were given courage. We said, I know what we need to do. We need to go preach to the governor. We need to go talk to the governor right now about Jesus and and lead him to the Lord. We didn't know the the governor's um, uh, convictions at that time. The governor happened to be a guy named George W. Bush at that time, uh, and uh, I didn't know that much about him. But anyway, Ty and I said, all right, we're bound and determined. We're going to go talk to the governor about Jesus. Uh, We're here in the Capitol building. So we go up and find our way to the governor's office. It's a big office. I mean, that thing's huge. Everything's bigger in Texas, right? I mean, I'd be exaggerating, but it felt like it was as big as this room, the outer waiting room. So we're in the outer waiting room. We're like, okay, I don't know what the protocol is here. Uh, So we went up to the, we saw a secretary or an um, administrative assistant, please forgive me, we saw someone that was up there, and she was at the front. She was taking, you know, uh, I don't know what she was doing. She was working. <laughs> we, we went up, and we said, um, <clears throat> excuse me, ma'am, um, could we talk to the governor? <laughs> and for some weird reason, he wasn't available at that time. I don't know what was going on. We were like, 
what? You know, well, anyway, she said, no, uh, you can't talk to the governor. Uh, He's not available. We were like, okay. So what we did was we said, well, we're going to write him a note, and we're going to give him this little booklet. This booklet explains how you can have a personal relationship with Jesus. Would you make sure that you get this booklet to the governor with our explanation and tell him we're praying for him? So, you know, as I remember we did many times, I can't remember specifically, we probably prayed for the lady, but I know that we left the booklet, and we were walking along out of the office going, okay, well, at least we gave it a shot. Well, we're walking down the halls, and eventually we come down to, the, to another hallway, and we see this, this sign over this office that says gubernatorial appointments. We're like, oh, that's the deal. We were going to get an appointment with the governor. We go in this office. So we go in this office. We go up to the counter, and we say, we'd like an appointment with the governor. We're going to be here for a week. And the lady looks at us like we are from Mars, you know. She says, no, this is not where you get an appointment with the governor. This is for those that the governor appoints to office. We're like, oh, okay. Well, anyway, tell him hi. Long and short, as that really happened, we really did go for it. Well, anyway, what I want to say is that because I was with my brother Ty, we prayed together, and we would challenge one another in God. We were encouraged to do things. Team ministry is a place where we gain great courage together to do things we would not normally do. I don't think if I'd have walked alone into the Capitol building that day, I'd have probably tried to go speak to, uh, to W., But, because I was with my friend Ty, we were encouraged, and it stirred us up, and um, I'd like to think that we had an impact. Who knows? Haven't talked to W. But uh, I'm sure that that God did something that day uh, in us. Even though this is a funny story, and uh, we were kind of goofballs willing to try anything, it's one of the advantages that Paul and Barnabas had as team ministry. They encouraged built one another up, and were able with their gifts to accomplish greater things together than separately. We know this is a natural thing, and the natural it happens, but there's a spiritual element when people go out in teams together. Let's talk about the next thing called accountability. Say that again. Accountability. Well, another element of working together as a team uh, that provided for Paul and for Barnabas and their assistant John Mark And all of those, Silas, who went along, uh, uh, Timothy, Titus, um, you name it. So many throughout the years was accountability. I just want to talk very briefly about two elements of accountability and a definition that I would uh, like to explain. Accountability, to me, uh, in the Christian sense, has, has two sides to it. One of those accountabilities is an accountability to living our lives free of the entanglements of sin. An accountability. I'm accountable. You might hear someone refer to an accountability partner, right? Uh, and we spoke back in our Joseph series, uh, the becoming a person of influence, that no matter how many accountability partners you have, if God is not your ultimate accountability, it's not going to work. But God uses people in our lives to open our lives with and keep us out of the ditches, so to speak, Uh, It is not good, it said in Genesis chapter 2, God said, for man to be alone, for mankind, for men and women. And so one of the things, it provides protection from the enemy's schemes for someone to compromise morally. And compromising morally. And I've seen this time and again in working in team ministry with what we've been doing. That when we walk together as a team, I praise the name of Jesus that by God's grace, Sean Richmond, the pastor of the River Church, 
uh, me here as pastor of community of faith, that, that we, in walking together here, have been able by God's grace to stay free and out of the ditches of sexual sin and out of the ditches of financial uh, sin. But it's not happening because of our own ability, because of the ability of God. Anybody ever heard of Billy Graham? Interesting enough, we all think he's great, and he, we should. <laughs> I saw him preaching the gospel at like 95. He had some, I was at my parents' home, and he had some uh, video on where he was one last time. I don't know how many last times Billy has, but he's given it to us, calling people to give their lives to Jesus. But Billy Graham made a manifesto 50-some-odd years ago with a group of three, George Beverly Shea was one of them and a couple of others, called the Modesto Manifesto. And these men got together. You like the way that rings there? Modesto Manifesto. And they got together and they said, and Billy Graham did kind of extreme things, but it's funny how some people call it extreme, but Billy's still the one standing <laughs> with uh, God's grace and purity. He, he committed, this was what Billy felt for his own life, I'm not giving it as the blanket, that he would not be alone with a woman in any situation outside of his wife. In a meeting, he wasn't going to be in a private or a way alone situation. That his financial business was going to be open in every way to these guys. And they had several other things. That they were going to walk in integrity in the way they preached the good news of Jesus over the years. Well, long and short is, there were a lot of guys, there were some guys that may have been more gifted than Billy Graham. Uh, I don't see uh, how <laughs> in some ways, but there were men that were as gifted as him. But many of the men did not choose to walk in this accountability, this openness, and this commitment. And because of it, it was uh, a shame that uh, some things were lost in that situation. Is God merciful? Of course. But accountability was key. Where you get your life together. These guys were on teams, and I am sure that Paul and Barnabas spoke together in their hearts about the personal struggles in their own lives. And if you think that people uh, don't have personal struggles that are in ministry, if you don't think that someone like me would ever have a personal struggle, you are not being smart. <laughs> about it. We all have things that would be tempting. By God's grace, I don't give in to those temptations. On a daily basis, I make choices because of you and because of others not to give in. But we all have personal things in our lives. I'm so grateful for the brothers that I've been able to unburden my soul with and walk in purity. So that's one element of accountability that's important is keeping out of the ditches uh, in our lives. But another element of it is being accountable in a positive way to accomplish that that God's given you to do, right? If God's told you to do something, <laughs> it's really easy not to do what God's told you to do if you have no one that you're in any kind of regular relationship with. Because you can just shift the rules and nobody would know. But in, th in this situation, Paul and Barnabas had a relationship where they were able to stay out of the ditches morally, stay right down the middle with Jesus in prayer for one another and walking, walking in, him, in Him. And they were also challenging one another, come on, man, let's finish this thing for Jesus. Let's go forward in Him. Praise God. So we've spoken about encouragement, that God gives courage to us through team ministry. Antioch sent out teams. We at Community of Faith International believe in sending out teams. We believe in working together in teams. What's your faith group? It's a team. may not be a very um, 
functional team or it may be a really functional team, but it's a team and you add to it in that, in giving encouragement and accountability. And everywhere we go, we do small groups because if you can multiply a small group, a faith group out, then you can start the church multiplying anywhere in the world. It's a wonderful thing. So there's protection in this accountability. The last one of these three, I'm talking about things that are advantageous of being on team ministry, is refinement. Refinement. You make, uh, uh, yeah, let's just call it that. Something else that happened while working in a team with Paul and Barnabas was a refinement of their lives. Their lives, though Paul and Barnabas were greatly gifted, Barnabas was known as the son of encouragement. He was a prophet, man. He gave words to people. Their lives were transformed. Barnabas reached out to Paul back when his name was Saul and nobody believed in him and pulled him into ministry. Barnabas was empowered by God. Paul, we can (laughs) definitely see, was empowered by God. It says, as I was even reading in my daily Bible reading today, in uh, Acts, I believe it was 14, 15 on, it, it says that Paul walked by, and when his shadow hit people, um, that, that they were healed. Uh, Peter, Paul, these guys, um, uh, their shadows were healing people. That Paul was in so much uh, uh, work, operated in the power of God. But these guys needed refinement. They needed refinement in this context. I like to refer to that as this, holy sandpaper. Just think about that, holy sandpaper. You're like, whatever it is, I don't want it. (laughs) Holy sandpaper. Sandpaper, right? Let's think about uh, my friend Nick here worked really hard, and actually uh, Melissa, Missy back here, worked really hard on our home, on our basement, and they used a lot of sandpaper at different times because when there's wood right? And it has the rough edges on it. You got to sand it down to get a flat surface uh, where you don't get splinters and where you're able to, um, to paint over it. So sandpaper has the purpose of, of getting the rough edges taken off of something, correct? That's what happens in team ministry. You and another person, you may have a conflict and it's sandpaper, it's God getting the rough edges in you and the rough edges in them to get to uh, smooth you out in the Lord, to make you gracious uh, where you're not gracious. Oh, how many times do I? How many times am I guilty of that, you know? Well, I got upset with the kids because they're acting this way. No, I got upset with the kids because I have yet to get fully clear of anger in my own heart. I didn't get upset with the kids because of what they did. I got upset with the kids because of sin, the old man which resides in me. Oh, you know, I, I did this, that, or the other because of them. No. I can tell you again that we sin when we have a sinful response. Not all anger is wrong. But when we have a sinful, angry response, when we have a sinful, lustful response, when we have some kind of sinful response, you know, well, it's not my fault if these women wouldn't dress this way, I wouldn't lust. No, no, absolutely not. You, as a free will agent in the Lord, are responsible for guarding your own heart and for guarding your own mind in Christ Jesus. Praise Him. Whatever it is, God refines us through relationships. And uh, I just, uh, uh, you know, the relationships in church community, on a team, it causes that friction. You ever experience friction in relationships? 
Anybody? <laughs> yeah. All right. Whose faith group are you? No, I'm kidding. Uh, <laughs> kidding. You know, being, uh, if we stay in the game, we really, a lot of times we encounter this uh, difficulties and friction in our lives. And what's one of the first things we want to do? Head for the high hills, right? It's just me and Jesus, baby. <laughs> it's just me and Jesus. You mere mortals can stay here. I will be like Moses and go to the mount and be holy with God. You unholy faith group. No, that's not how it is. That's our attitude is I will extricate myself from these relationships because these people are driving me crazy. This person's hurting my feelings. These people let me down. This happened and that happened and the other. And Jeff's not that nice of a guy sometimes and such and so. Whatever it might be that if we though are able to learn to stay in the crucible. I don't know another way to say it. In the crucible of relationships at moments. They're our biggest blessing and the biggest pain. Just asking a married person. Just ask your own family uh, at times. But if we are able to bless, to forgive, and to learn from others, God will change us in being the team that he's called us to be. Being vulnerable in relationships can be humbling, can it? Frustrating. <clears throat> Scary. And a most wonderful thing. We don't grow, I can say this, we don't grow without resistance in our lives. Natural muscles do not grow without resistance. Our spiritual muscles do not grow without resistance. Right? We, at moments, feel in our spiritual lives, like the t-shirt I saw one time with the guy laying on the couch and two beer cans in his hand, no pain, no pain. <laughs> right? Instead of no pain, no gain, no pain, no pain. That's our attitude toward it at times. But God is saying there is friction. There is, people will hurt and you will hurt others. And we're not intending on doing that. We have to have humble hearts and say, oh God, forgive me. But here's a little thing. So sandpaper used to, to, with wood to shave off the rough edges, the splinters, right? Well, you see, if I don't engage and allow myself to work through that holy sandpaper in my life, through my life interacting with others in a close way, guess what? I have less pain. <laughs> Woo! Less initial pain. But here's the problem. But if I don't engage in that, that holy sandpaper of someone else involved in my life and having to forgive and press through in relationships, then guess what? Others in the, in the community of believers, but outside of the community of believers, they get up close to us and they get the splinters because we haven't been refined. They get the splinters of our attitudes. They get the splinters of, of our unrefinedness. God is refining us for His goodness, His glory, and His purpose. Man, I can tell you this, I believe in operating together in teams. Has it been painful? Yes! You think I have no feelings? Man, I got feelings. And they've been hurt. But do I live in hurt? No. I choose to forgive. I choose to bless. I ask people to forgive. I have asked ones of you in this congregation, I asked John this week to forgive me. Would you forgive me, John? Again, thank you for transgressing. God's good. So, all that to say, the church in Antioch operated in team ministry. They worked together because it gave them encouragement to do things they couldn't do otherwise. It also gave them accountability to stay out of the ditches of sin and to, 
to be encouraged and challenged to do what God had called them to do. And it also provided refinement for their lives. You're like, well, Paul and Barnabas were too holy for that. Forget it. Acts chapter 16 or somewhere around there, they get in a, they get in a cat fight over John Mark. <laughs> I don't cat fight. I, I don't know if that's appropriate. Uh, they get in a fight. <laughs> they start arguing because John Mark had left them and Paul said, no way, I'm not taking that guy. Barnabas said, okay. Uh, by the way, Paul, do you know I took you when no one wanted to take you? Anyway, so Paul leaves, Barnabas leaves, but eventually God reconciles them. They work it together in relationships, they involved in relationship, and God does something great. So the first main thing about Antioch that we see is that they sent out teams. The next thing that we see is that these teams, well, let's read this, Acts chapter 13, 6 through 8. Are you with me today? Hmm, that's good, I'm with you. They, Paul, Barnabas, and John that we know of, traveled through the whole island until they came to Paphos. There they met a Jewish sorcerer and false prophet named Bar-Jesus, who was an attendant of the proconsul Sergius Paulus. The proconsul, an intelligent man, sent for Barnabas and Saul because he wanted to hear the word of God. But Elymas, the sorcerer, for that is what his name means, opposed them and then tried to turn the proconsul from the faith. Teams that were sent out, teams at Antioch that were sent out, dealt with opposition. They dealt with it. Not just internal opposition at times, the kind that I was talking about, about refinement, but they dealt with opposition from from, uh, moving forward in what God had given them. It's interesting, if you look at this team, Paul, Barnabas, and John Mark, they were sent on their way. You can read that at the very first. It says uh, in Acts uh, 13.4, it says the two of them sent on their way by the Holy Spirit. Okay? And then it says John Mark was with them as their helper. It's interesting. What does this remind you and me of? Well, it reminds me of this. Jesus, after being baptized and God saying, You are my beloved Son, whom I am well pleased. It says, And the Spirit led him into the oasis? The five-star hotel? Yeah, no. Into the wilderness. It's very interesting. And when we operate with God and advancing His kingdom and the power of the Holy Spirit sends us out, there's opposition. We're kidding ourselves if we don't think. We have been opposed every step of the way this last 16 years here. And I'm not here to overblow it. I'm, I, I enjoy life. <laughs> but we have been opposed. We've been opposed financially. We've been opposed with people's words. We've been opposed with this, that, and the other. But I'm telling you this. Just as Jesus was led and overcame in the desert, and then He went in. Jesus went into the desert, led by the Holy Spirit. Guess what He was? He was filled with the Holy Spirit. But He came out of the desert in what way? Oh, don't miss it. Oh, in the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't know. We're filled with the Holy Spirit. Jesus, fill me. You go through suffering. You go through temptation. You go through opposition. You come out on the other end. You have more power to see people's lives changed for Jesus. You see, Jesus is good. (laughs) Overcoming opposition, let me just say this, it's a part of true Christianity. It's a part of what it is. 
Do we look for opposition? No. I don't have a sign. I'm not down at, at, in Brighton Center saying, someone opposed me. <laughs> I'm not into it. I'm a wimp in some ways, naturally. But I am one that realizes the opposition uh, of the advancement of God's kingdom is in places where the kingdom doesn't exist yet. There's strong opposition in those places. And um, that, this is what Paul and Barnabas encountered. Satan does not like to give up ground. Satan and his evil forces attempt to get us as individuals and us as a church to change our goals in life. He wants us to change our goals either to survival, right? Which a lot of times survival means make myself as comfortable as I can here. <laughs> get as comfortable as I can here on earth until Jesus comes and rescues me from heaven. You know, just comfort, comfort, comfort. You know, financial comfort. Situational comfort, the comforts of the world. Let me comfort myself and be a good person. But that's not the way. That, that's the devil's up. That's the devil's idea for our lives. God's never called us just to survival. God's called us to thrival. He has called us to live in such a way that when we hit opposition, we live in an abundant life. John chapter 10 and verse 10 says this. It speaks of the glory of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. He says, the thief, speaking of Satan, comes to steal, kill, and destroy. By the way, just trying to survive is a good way to get steamrolled. <laughs> you can't just survive. That's not, Satan is not just, oh, you're just going to survive. I'll leave you alone. No. Anyway. The thief, Satan, comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. But I have come that you may have life. Life in all of its fullness. Life in its fullness, as I've said time and time again, God didn't promise us easy lives. He promised us abundant lives. Man, I'm telling you, I want to live an abundant life in Jesus. I'm living it by His grace today. But God has a wonderful purpose. So these purpose for our lives, the team sent out dealt with opposition. God has promised if we take risks in Him to expand His kingdom and depend on Him to help us overcome opposition, then we will live in thrival. You can thrive in God. It, does, does thrival mean I don't have any pain? No. Thrival means Jesus is so good, He meets me in this place of pain. He meets me in this place of pain. You know, I thought about that with my children. You know, Jude and Jake, my five and my three-year-old, they don't come to me a lot when they're feeling good. They don't. I mean, they do sometimes. So I can, I'm teaching them to be kissers and give Dad a kiss and hug him. And, <clears throat> but... In general, they don't. But man, when they need me, when they need me, then they crawl right up into my arms. They crawl right up here in my arms, and I hold them. When they get tired, I hold them. When they're in a stressful situation, I hold them. When they can't deal with it, I hold them. And that's a lot of times what happens in our lives. That's how we thrive. We run into the arms of our Father. We say, God, it's too heavy for me, but I'm with you. You see, for these situations are way too heavy for you. Your financial situation is way too heavy for you. Your relational situation is way too heavy. Your marriage, it's way too heavy for you. But in His arms, He's got it all picked up and cared for in Him. Run into the arms of God. So, this church at Antioch operated as team. We want to learn how to operate in that way. This church dealt with opposition in Antioch. Uh, as Paul and Barnabas did with this proconsul, uh, with this uh, sorcerer trying to turn them away, the proconsul away from the faith. 
And here's the last part. Finally, let's read Acts 13. In verses 9 through 12, Then Saul, who was also called Paul, filled with the Holy Spirit, looked straight at Elymas and said, <laughs> I'm sorry, I just, woo. <laughs> Could you imagine just walking up to somebody on the street? Uh, um, you are a child of the devil and an enemy of everything that is right. You are full of all kinds of deceit and trickery. Will you never stop perverting the right ways of the Lord? Now the hand of the Lord is against you. You are going to be blind for a time, not even able to see the light of the sun. Immediately, mist and darkness came over him, and he groped about, seeking someone to lead him by the hand. When the proconsul saw what had happened, he believed, for he was amazed at the teaching of the Lord. (laughs) What was he amazed at? Was it the words? Well, the words had power. But I think that what he was amazed at was that God showed up in a mighty and powerful way. The teaching of the Lord is not merely with words. See, these people in Antioch knew it wasn't merely with words, but with power. So often in our Western, highly academic context, we think knowledge is supreme. Knowledge is great if it's appropriate under the Lordship of Jesus. But knowledge and revelation are two different things. Roland Allen, who wrote a book, Missionaries Methods, St. Paul's or Ours, he was a missionary in the 1800s. What a great mind he had in the Lord. He said, a mere preaching which is not accompanied by the expectation of faith is not a real preaching of the gospel. I won't go on to the rest of that, but the point there being that the gospel is to come with power. A team of ours, and I've heard this from the team sent out from CFCF as well, a team of ours from the church in Beverly went out in this kind of grace and power to proclaim Jesus this summer. Our church in Beverly, 45 minutes from here, sent out a team to India. And a guy by the name of Cullen prayed for a man on the street whose shoulder was healed. And this man's comment was this. This happened this summer. He said, none of the gods I pray to has such power. How do I get this power? Seconds later, a local believer walked up, explained what happened to the man in their own language. She then ended their conversation with this admonition in English. Now you must share with two other people what Jesus has done for you. Jesus meets with people in a powerful way. We've seen throughout the course of time. Is everyone healed that we pray for? No. But you see, where healing and deliverance And and, and these things come, and the miracle-working power of God is on the cutting edge of people who don't know Jesus yet, or a group of people who've been cut off from the love and the life of Jesus. Man, God will show up in a way unprecedented and touch their hearts. So today we see with Antioch, just as we're looking at how a church can change the world, I want to look at those things, that we are committed as a church here at Community of Faith uh, to send out teams. We're committed to operate in teams. Our faith groups are little teams that are working together to encourage one another in the faith and to do great things in God. We're committed to dealing with opposition and learning how not to pull back in the midst of opposition, but to press into the arms of our Father and to press into the arms of our brothers and sisters with love and grace and concern. And we are committed to learning how to operate in the power of God and seeing His kingdom advanced. For his glory. Let's stand. I want to ask the band to come forward. For those of you who are on a 
spiritual journey that are here today. I just want to say this. I'd like to encourage you that God wants to reveal Himself to you today in a powerful way. As He revealed Himself to this man in India, and as He's revealing Himself to so many. Just very quickly, I want to express to you that God created us. God created mankind for a relationship with Him. I want to say this to any who have not understood or who are on this spiritual journey. But because Adam and Eve in the garden, that real garden that was created by God, because they disobeyed and sinned, sin entered that picture and relationship between God and mankind was broken. Because of sin, spiritual death entered the human race. And we were born with sinful hearts. Each one of us not born into righteousness, but born into sin. But Jesus came, and that's why Jesus came. God became a man in the person of Jesus Christ, lived 33 perfect years among us. He was the perfect sacrifice. You see, in the old covenant, there, was a, there had to be a blood sacrifice for the, for the sinner, uh, of, for mankind, for sin. And in so many different religions, there's blood shed in order to try to atone with God. But the only true blood shed, the Lamb of God, slain from the beginning of the foundations of the world, is Jesus. He paid and died on the cross. You know what the cross is? It was the electric chair of its day. He died on the cross, suffered a sinner's death, though he had not sinned once, took the punishment and the pain that you and I deserved. And then Jesus died, but death was not able to hold him. After the third day, he rose from the dead, victorious. He said, give me back those keys to the kingdom for mankind. He took them back from Satan, from hell. And he also broke all the power of hell and death. And he said this to his disciples. He said, go and make disciples. This is after Jesus had risen from the dead. Of all nations... Uh, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and I am with you always. Jesus said, to as many as receive me, to them I will give the right to become children of God. Praise His holy name. I don't know today if you have ever come to know the personal love of Jesus Christ for you, but I'm here to tell you He is the resurrected Jesus. He's alive today. He's in my heart. He's in many, many of our hearts here today. And He's alive and well. Jesus is extending His hands to you and saying, Will you come to Me? I want to lead you if you've never given your heart to follow Jesus. If you never understood that you are a sinner separated and that Jesus is the way to reconciliation with God, I want to lead you in a prayer. Pray after Me. Let's all close our eyes. And those of you who want to pray and give your heart to receive Jesus, pray with Me. God, thank You for creating Me in my mother's womb. Thank you for creating mankind. I admit that I'm a sinner and I deserve punishment for my sin. I believe that you, Jesus, died on the cross for me and you took the punishment of my sin on yourself. I receive you as my Lord and my Savior. And I ask you to come into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Come and make me new. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me from hell and death and for giving me abundant life here on earth 
and eternal life with you for all eternity. In your holy name I pray. Amen. Amen. The band's going to play and then John's going to lead us, those of us who have the relationship with Jesus, in a response.